the Y curve with Phil Dobby and Roger Hearing. Do we have a right to die the way we want? Should we be able to choose, if we wish, to end our own lives? And should people be able to help us without fear of prosecution? Or would such a change in law risk the old, the vulnerable and those with expensive needs being pushed into a convenient death? Is euthanasia a fundamental right or a dangerous precedent undermining the value of life itself? The why curve. So this has been the subject of a, a lot of fiction, yeah. of course, hasn't it? One of my favourite movies when I was growing up was Logan's Run. I don't even remember that. Which, I do. I with do remember Jenny Agata. Yes. Yes. So other, ever... other people were in it. I can't remember who they were. For some reason, I remember Jenny Agata <laughs> was in it. And uh, everyone died young, didn't they? You got to the well, age of 30 yes. and you were basically euthanized because yes. you were using up too many resources yes. on the planet. And this was yeah. set way in the future in uh, 2274, it was. So imagine NHS waiting list by 2274. So maybe, you know... <laughs> All good well, reason. Now, come on, row yourself out. I mean, this is something that is well. What can I say? All well, it's very, a very hard. point, though. It, is that, it, 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 in a way, is that you know, uh, is there a danger that if we go down this road, mm. people will go? Oh, it's a lot cheaper, isn't it? You know, well, rather that, than... that's exactly the problem because mm. you know you have people. You know, at a certain level, people should surely have the right to control their lives and even to end their lives. I mean, you mm. know, your life is your life, but the risks that are in terms of pushing people, because there are a lot of people out there who some people say, oh, well, you know, it's very poor quality of life, you know, they're yeah. barely there at all, and they, and they vast amounts of resources are needed for them. All so then, 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 then so that, there's this question, isn't it? If we haven't got the resources to enable people to live comfortably, then the obvious choice is to say, well, okay, let's give them the right to end their life. But the alternative is actually that you put the resources behind it so that they can live their life comfortably. If that works. If it I works. I mean, with what they call palliative care, is yeah. there to try and make make sure that people have a better quality of life in that way. But how do you measure quality of life? This is such a difficult thing yeah. To, yeah. to do. And and people, you know, you say, well, it's your choice. But if you've got, you know, I don't know, a bunch of uh, accountants saying, oh, you are costing us an awful lot of money by hanging exactly. on like this. It's and the, the slippery slope, is this? The question is, yeah. is the slippery slope? I mean, it may start with all the best intentions. So it'll be interesting to see what's happening in the Netherlands, because they've had it for a while yeah. now, haven't they? They have, they have. Uh, and, and it's quite a large number of people who are going through the process. And there. there's some very worrying things there. One was that they've allowed it, I think in the Netherlands or in Belgium, certainly, to be for very young people mm. to choose that as well. Wow. And there have been people where not the physical issue, not the physical ill health, but being depressed, being mm. de suffering from deep depression is a reason, has been used as a reason to say, well, yes, you know, with that circumstance, the doctors, people. yeah, the doctors sign off and say, and that is just so wrong, isn't it? Because how many? Because well, I mean, well, yeah, I mean, pain, you know, psychological is, pain is as almost as bad as yeah, but it is, is bad. But, but is it is it terminal? I mean, can you? Well, as no, you get these older, conditions don't have to be terminal. Yeah, if people say, look, I have a pain. Well, that that's, is, my, no, so that's my point, though. So if you are if you are depressed as you get older, yeah. can you work your way through it? You know, with the help of drugs and perhaps you know just you know the chemicals in your brain sort themselves out or just life circumstances change and you're not depressed anymore well, you'll never be able to realize that if you've gone and topped yourself but the person effect, has the choice life. to do it if they if they say, look i don't yeah, want but, to wait i don't want to hang around i don't want to mm. continue living a quality of life that i don't think has any quality yeah should people have the right surely at one so level so it is a fine must. divide isn't it? and then the difficult and then that that fine divide between the physician or whoever it is who helps you mm. are they uh, you know is it an act of mercy or have they broken the law 
Well, and, at the moment, they've broken the law. Yeah. That's the point. Yeah. And there have been many cases like this. But should they? Should mm. they be forced in that position? Anyway, we're going to pick this up with someone who studied it in some detail, and that's Dr. Sam Carr, lecturer at the Department of Education and the Centre for Death and Society at the University of Bath. He joins us now. So, Sam, I mean, if we don't have some sort of euthanasia, can we actually support all the people with terminal illnesses in the, in the country? Do we have the resources to make them all comfortable and you know isn't the situation just going to be that we're going to have more people uh, who are needing palliative care at an increasing cost and maybe we just don't have those resources yeah i mean that's certainly one argument as in could do would we have enough palliative care resources to spread across everybody who needs them but i guess the other way it's an awful argument though isn't it yeah the the other way of looking at it is simply well for some people supporting them actually means listening to their autonomy and their own personal belief that actually support the best way you can support me now is by letting me go well Um, that's the core of it isn't it that is the, the extent to which you can choose First of all, should you be able legally to be able to choose to kill yourself? Should you be able, therefore, to be helped to do so? Yep. And what are the risks, obviously, around that? And what are the circumstances? Because, I mean, Mm. you obviously don't want to catch people on a bad day. It's got to be considered over a period of time, hasn't it? Yeah, and I mean, the colleagues that I that I work with in places like the Netherlands and Belgium, where their laws are a bit more liberal in relation to this, they're, they're those that have the responsibility for actually doing this, for actually giving the drugs or the cocktails or the injections that people are going to take. Um, the one, the people that I know are very case by case on it. So they really do have to be convinced that in this case, yes, this person is suffering to a point that their family and they and we as clinicians are convinced that the right thing here is assisted suicide. But who makes that call? I mean, is it just one person? It's usually, yeah, either one or a few um, clinicians or psychiatrists would make that call. And obviously the family have to agree and uh, the patient has to agree. And often there's disagreement. So... It's not uh, something that's that's reached easily or liberally mm. or dished out like candy, so to speak. It really is um, taken seriously, and, and it's very difficult when the family don't want it, but the patient does, and the clinician believes it's in the patient's best interest, but the family don't want it. Then you've got a difficult situation on your hands, for example. So, we, we, I mean, there's, there's two sort of separate lines here. One, I suppose, is whether you as a person have the right to end your own life, and we've moved past what was legally the case, I think, about 50 or 60 years ago, which was that, that suicide was actually a crime, technically. Yeah, you, yeah. Were, you, you were committing a crime by killing yourself. I think we moved past that and said, well, you know, you, in the end, you do have the right to kill yourself if you want to. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's the question of assistance, isn't it? That's the core problem. And I imagine in the Netherlands and Belgium, presumably, that has to be the point. If, if someone could do away with themselves, well, they would. But if they have to have assistance, yeah. they need that kind of underwriting by clinicians. And again, where do you, how do you draw the line there? So if you're a physician that helps someone die in in Holland, presumably, if you don't go through the right process, I mean, you're, you're, you, you could still be liable for prosecution. There's got to be checks and yes, balances. you can. And you can be, and you are. And mm. I definitely know that my colleagues informally talk amongst themselves about, oh, that psychiatrist, psychiatrist is much more likely to approve this stuff than another one, for example. And so, and people get wind of that and might go to that person, if you see what I mean, and mm. think, oh, he's an easy ride. He, he's more likely to to sign the documents, so to speak, or, or, to, or to push the process through. So there's difference between from clinician to clinician. And yeah, they have to be very, very careful because they are legally liable. You're right. 
And the issue then becomes, I suppose, we boil this all back to it. So, first of all, we have the right to kill ourselves. I mean, that's pretty much universally agreed that you know people wouldn't necessarily advise it, but people would accept that right over your bodily autonomy when it comes down to ethics. Yep. So in ethical terms, if I have the right of autonomy over my body, should I not also, at a very simple level, be able to get someone to help me do what I want with it? I mean, yeah. it's very simple terms, but that surely is true. It it certainly makes sense to me, that argument. Um, and th But then you get complications like, am I compost mentos enough to to say, yes, I do want somebody else to help me, and, and you can trust that I mean it, if you see what I mean? Because there have been a lot of cases where people have said, well, I, I knew a patient like that, but 10 years later, they're thriving because... Mm after a year they had some kind of epiphany and pulled through or came out of whatever it was they were in that was that was causing them so much internal suffering um and they're really glad now they didn't yeah so there's always that old notion that comes out yeah how do you guard against that we were talking about that just before we came on actually because we were talking about mental illness and i was saying yeah well you have a change of circumstance or you just get older i mean if young people yeah lots of it, almost we all go through a bad patch don't we when we're young and it's it's harder for some people than it is for others uh, and you know, perhaps you get it sorted out as you get as you get older. Certainly, I've got relatives who you know fit that bill. If they had been helped, if it was easy for them to kill themselves, I'm sure one or two of them might actually have done that. And yeah. yet, you know, life has sorted itself out for them. And yeah. what a travesty for you know for us to have made it so easy that that happens. And I, and I think that's the the rub in the sense that you can never be 100 percent sure of that. Um, and I've talked to people, older people typically, in my research with people who are at the older end of the spectrum. I've talked to people who have said to me, yeah, for four years, I definitely wanted to die. But then one, I remember one old woman saying to me, but one day I just woke up and saw things differently. Um, she didn't even know why, really. It was just like enough time had passed that somehow she'd pulled through and out of the dark tunnel and she was really pleased that she hadn't died um, but she said for four years I was absolutely certain that's all I wanted um, whereas I've talked to other people who for 15 years have been certain that they that death is what they want and that life is finished for them and every year it gets worse and worse and it seems like mm. that's not going to happen so I think to some extent that decision would always be a bit of a gamble and you'd never quite know well if we'd given them another year, what would have happened? But there has to be in Belgium and Holland they do they do wait a fairly long time to check. Can we be sure as we can be that this is not going away, so to speak, or this yeah, wish? And isn't there some sort of board or some sort of consul consultative process? So it's it's not just yeah, one person's choice. Absolutely, yeah. There there would be there is a board and consultative process, and you've got you can only be as sure as you can be. I don't think there is really a certainty that someone might not wake up in three weeks' time in a slightly different frame of mind about all of this. That's not mm. you can never completely be certain on this. So you're sort of having to accept that risk. I think. And there's a big there's a big difference between suffering in that you know you are in pain and agony. Yeah, and. And, and, mental, being, and being and having well, emotional mental problems. agony can be as awful, I imagine. I haven't experienced it as 
as extreme physical agony, but I suppose with but mental it, agony, it could change, whereas with physical and it agony... it could be circumstantial as well. Yeah. So, you know, it could be actually be a reflection of, you know, not getting great palliative care, you know, that you're not actually seeing any other people, for example. It could be as simple as that, couldn't it? That you're, you're, you're locked away, uh, you're not really getting an opportunity to mm. express yourself. And, you know, that, that gets down to how we look after older people uh, who, who are suffering. Yeah, and I think that's why it's really important to, I think it was the psychologist Carl Jung who used to say, the symptoms are not as important as the story behind them. So someone saying, I really feel like I want to die now, you don't know anything about that until you really understand the story of how they got there and what's behind it for them. Is it because they can't bear living in chronic pain? In which case, maybe getting rid of the pain in some way, shape or form would would take it away if, or if that were else? possible if that were possible if, yeah oh, we don't know i mean there have been big moves in palliative medicine uh you know it is an advancing area of, yep. uh, of medical science so is it possible to i mean if, if someone has a terrible diagnosis look you're going to you've got four months you have uh terminal cancer there's no way out of it and it's simply going to get worse towards the end if you say to them well you know it we will end naturally but we can make it so it doesn't hurt yep. does that change everything it might, I think, for some people, it might. Yeah, if palliative if palliative care gets so advanced and effective that it literally does take away pain and the suffering associated with it, in those cases, that could be great. But but what I would also say is that with a lot of colleagues that I'm working with in Europe at the moment, we're working on this phenomenon that we call tiredness of life. Well, they I should say they call really because it it was really coined in that that area of Europe. I Where, saw a piece you wrote on that recently. It's very yeah. very interesting. Is it? It's kind of a an attitude problem. Is that the right way to put it? I'd say it, what it feels like for these people is that I'm just done. I'm not in pain necessarily. Um, my life, some of them even have like quite thriving family lives, etc. But there's a real sense in these people, they're typically older people, that I've finished living, my life's lived its course and I'm done. I don't want to see another summer. I don't want to see another spring. I've seen all the roses I want to see. I've seen my grandchildren. I've had fun, but I'm just finished. And life just feels like suffering in and of itself. And every day feels like I'm done. And there is, in some people, there is a real sense that I've lived a bit like you've finished the marathon, but you're still running. Um, and you don't want to be anymore. You just but know that's that. desperately sad, isn't it? Yeah, it's desperately sad. Uh, and and what we debate around that in in our group from 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 many different countries is what what do we what do you do about that? And and the Dutch and the Belgians are are um, advocating when people are in that place. Yeah, we we want to help them if they really feel like they've had enough to assist suicide. Whereas there are people I know in other from other countries that are like, well, surely there's something else that could save them in inverted commas. Um, and there's a real debate around that one. About what do you the, think about that? I mean, what, what's your feeling, having well, honestly, been involved I've, in some of these discussions? When I've spoken to people who I feel, I'm sure, who I'm as sure as possible suffer from that, you can definitely see the sincerity in their eyes when they say, I'm done. I don't want to be here anymore and I'm finished. Um, my life is, I've finished living and I don't feel bad about cutting it short. I'm ready. It's like they're ready to go, but they're sitting in a waiting room. Um, mm. And that doesn't necessarily mean to say they've got awful circumstances around them. Sometimes they've got really good ones. You know, they're pretty wealthy. They've got a good family. They just feel like they've they've used up all the gas in their tank of living. 
So unbearable and hopeless, they're two words I read as the criteria they're used in, in the Netherlands. The suffering has yeah. to be those two things. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, that, that's, I mean, that's pretty definitive, isn't it? And then you have to have consultation with the family and the patient, and that's where you get, also get a, a, a review committee involved as well. Yep. So it's it, you know that's how bad things have got to be, but also there's got to be a consultation with a with with a number of people. But it, a lot of people go through this process in the Netherlands. So since it was introduced yeah, in 2002, yeah. there's been 49,000. Actually, this might even be a little bit out of date now, but I've got the latest figure. Mm. I've got 49,000 assisted deaths in Holland. Yep. So that's about 50 a week for mm. a population of 17 million. So yep. that would be the equivalent of 200 a week here in the UK. That's yep. not a small number. No. It's not. And I, I, I'm not, I do, I'm definitely sometimes surprised by the number of people who do have a secret kind of death wish. Kind of like, yeah, I really do feel like if, you, if I had to choose between living and dying, I'd probably choose dying. It often is the very end of life where you get to that point where you just feel like psychologically and spiritually you've finished, um, mm. but your body's not quite packed up yet. But in the Netherlands, what do you know about this tiredness of life? Uh, wouldn't be seen as a legitimate way because what Phil was saying about you know the extreme pain or whatever it is and yeah. unbearable and unending it doesn't fulfil those criteria so those sort of people presumably wouldn't be able to get and that's past the debate that. I think that's the debate that's still going on as in some people would argue actually that's incredibly that's that's real suffering I mm. every single day not wanting to be here but not having a reason enough to check out. Um, but you see, that's more clear cut, though, isn't it? You know, what you're describing is something which, I mean, could that change? You well, know, and again, it, that's the debate. Could you could you hold on for long enough that somehow new meaning emerges? Mm. Or, is it to do with loneliness? Is it because I mean, we constantly as people get a lot older, yeah, they that you know, and variable physical frailty or whatever, but also they just lose contact with yeah. other people. And in a way, that's what's required, not not euthanasia, but just making people more involved in society. And that, that's part of the debate, too. We always find when, the, when people are suffering from this notion of tiredness of life that one of the key ingredients that's always there is a real sense of disconnection to the world um, that was once there. It could be people, but it could also be identity, uh, who I used to be. I'm just not that person anymore. I don't have a career. I don't matter. Nobody seems to care if I, I'm alive or dead. It's, there's, there's a kind of nobody seems to care notion. Um, so they really do sort of drop off the face of the planet in, to, to all intents and purposes. And that must feel like an abyss that you don't want to be part of. So the idea that, you know, that, that there are physicians or people within hospitals who are, you know, not able to make this decision. How different is it? Because this decision is made, but in a different circumstance almost every day, isn't it? So I'll give you an example. My my father-in-law died, or oh, good, um, I don't know what it is, 20 years ago. And my wife's not listening because it might might be less than that or might be more. But anyway, a while ago. Mm. And he was on a, on a ventilator uh, for a while and they were trying to take him off the ventilator. They did it a couple of times. And the first time he did all right. Second time he didn't do very well at all. And finally they just said, this isn't going to work. We're not going to put him back on the ventilator. Right. And he was left to die. That yeah. was a decision that he was going to die. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he was while he was a, you know on the ventilator, he was quite happy. But they just knew there's no way they could fix his condition. So yeah. somebody made a call there yeah. that he was going to die. Yeah. Uh, and yet, you know, that is ethically sound, as I understand it. Mm. Yeah. Same thing happened to my own dad two years ago. He he called me one day. Uh, within 24 hours, he was in hospital. Uh, not conscious, um, and they said, 
there's nothing we can do for him. Um, so we're going to just not feed him anymore and not give him any water. And we're going to leave him for, I think he lasted seven days like that until he eventually faded away. Similar thing. They, they made so a why, decision. Why the league, what, so what's the legal difference between doing yeah. that and I mean, assisting? In my mind, I can't see it. I can't, mm. I can't see the philosophical, theoretical, conceptual difference. No, I can't see it. I guess the only difference is you're slowly, you're slowly allowing someone to die by not giving them something, by denying yes, them it's, something. It's, thou shalt not kill, but needs not strive officiously to keep alive. It's yeah, that, isn't it? It's that, really. It, it, it's you don't intervene to change things. Yeah, essentially um, that. Uh, but, but, but it's, I mean, it's, it's, in legal terms, it's very hard. Because, I mean, what we are talking about, the reason we're talking about this is there has been a push towards trying in Britain to move perhaps to a similar situation to the one yeah. in yeah. Belgium or the Netherlands or indeed mm. in, in parts of Canada and the United States too. Yep. Um, do you think this can be done safely? I mean, it, it, there are, one hears stories about people who are pushed towards that potentially by relatives who don't want them to be around anymore or feel under pressure, even if they're yeah. not under pressure, and all yeah. these kind of aspects to it. Is there any way round that? Or indeed hospitals that are going, well, exactly. gee, we just can't afford to... Yeah, you're using resources. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's there's an awful lot of things that can go wrong when you start, when you start saying these sorts of things. You realise quite quickly, gosh, there's an awful lot that we have to be really careful to regulate and or try to regulate. Because, yeah, all of those things can happen. You can have, to a large extent, it's going to be clinician judgment there's going to be a big part of it too as in we've reached a point yep where this person's definitely ready and we deem that to be so there's definitely it's definitely true in belgium and holland that different clinicians have different subjective opinions of when that is um so that's really hard to regulate it's really hard to measure so in some in some cases it's imperfect and i can see why people are worried about it um and when you look at the literature on things like what do doctors think about this issue, it's certainly not unanimous in the UK that doctors think uh, doctors are for this. But when you look at the families of people who've died, um, they are more unanimously in favour of it. For example, uh, people. But, but maybe not. I mean, but not always necessarily for the best reasons. But maybe that's, not. That's, the fear, yeah. isn't that's, it? that's another good point. Yeah, maybe not for the for the right reasons necessarily. So, I can absolutely see why it's. It's such a divisive issue. And then you've got things like religion that come into the equation and yeah. people, people's bigger beliefs about what, how, what life is and autonomy, etc. I remember when and we... suffering. I mean, you know, so yeah. suffering is cleansing the soul ready for our yes. introduction to meeting with God, you know. Yep. It's, it's uh, yeah, join me every Sunday <laughs> uh, for a new podcast. No, I mean, there are people who, who yeah. you know, who, who, who religious Yes, obviously Pete, there's a difference. It, I mean, yeah. uh, you know, that, that actually that was a, a John Paul II who said that that mm. you know suffering is necessary. It's a necessary. Well, part a lot of, of religions feel that I think, but 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 I suppose Sam, the point in all this is you know yes, and people who who are opposed to it could say, well, we're not going to do it. I mean, that, that's a choice as well. Of course, yeah. But I mean, it's those who yeah. fe might feel that they are being pushed either because society considers them to be a bit superfluous yeah um they're costing maybe their relatives they're certainly or costing the state or whatever it is and that sense of why weighing up life as a value as a a quality of life index almost putting almost a monetary value on it i mean that's a very bad area to get into isn't it's it? a dangerous area very yeah it is dangerous uh, and also I, I suppose it puts 
I'm just thinking if, ahead if, if it were legal when I get to that place, if I do, um, the weight of responsibility of deciding, am I ready for this or not, is, is quite a lot. I, want, I, I think that's a pretty powerful thing to take on too for individuals. But there are people that definitely will tell you, I definitely know that I'm done and I'm finished and I want out of here. Um, I have a friend from China who's part of our, our network in Europe. And he's always very staunch in his uh, opposition to euthanasia. He says that in China, your death doesn't belong to you, is his, are his words. Your death is not yours. It's, um, it belongs to the collective, it belongs to the people. So you don't have a right just to take it away from them. So, And that's the same with your life. So you can certainly see how like collective beliefs shape this too. He's really anti the idea of that. And he's, he's it's an interesting cultural yeah. uh, difference, though, isn't it? Well, there's a but parallel. It's also, that's also actually quite, in, in a way, it's, that's actually one way of saying, well, you count. You, know, you, you matter, society, yeah. So you matter yeah. to society, yeah. so it's not your choice. One of the things they say, you know, one of the, the, the rebukes against suicide, in, in a way, is that the, the idea that of the people that you would yes. hurt or damage by doing it, it's a selfish act. This has yep. always been one of the, yep. the, the, the things that's put on. So I suppose what, what your Chinese friend is almost reflecting that as well. He is. Yeah, he is. And uh, he said that's what it would be seen as in China. It would be a sort of shameful thing uh, to do. I wonder who makes the decision, though, because it's very easy to say, well, OK, the physician, you know, it, mm. somebody's seen you in the hospital. But a lot of these people in the hospital, perhaps they're very good at, you know, plugging up holes in your body and getting your heart working again. They might not be very good at working out what's exactly going on in your mind. No. Uh, it might be and indeed the ethical basis of it. I mean, mm. these people, as, as far as they're, they're trained to one particular job, which is to mend you. To patch up stuff. Yeah. yeah. Then, then you have to decide what, about the quality of someone's life. That's a very different thought. Yeah. And I think that would almost require a slight, a slight redefinition of, of the aim of, 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 of a medic in some ways. Because you're right, I think you do sort of train to preserve life as far as you possibly can. And um, we're saying something that's a little bit different to that. You've got to know when to let go. But I wonder how many of those people, that you know, that astronomical number that we were seeing in, in Holland, that 50,000, that, you know, that would be the equivalent here. Of two hundred a week, mm. Mm. Uh, we've got. I've, I don't know if these are accurate or not. The Office of Health Economics and is that a credible place to get data from? One hundred twenty-five thousand end-of-life patients in the UK receiving palliative care. They said. So, if we worked on the basis of you know the, the, that ratio, two hundred a week here in the UK, that would be eight to ten percent of those people agreeing to be euthanized out of yeah. those people who are on that on that list. Yeah. Does that sound like the sort of percentage you'd imagine would be the case? very difficult to say and when you talk when you say of those 125,000 people i wonder how many of them are in a in a fit state to be able to make the judgment themselves mm. or like you just said how many of them would need to have that judgment made for them that's a very different question i think when you're sort yeah. of mind reading someone who's on their deathbed um that would yeah. be much more difficult than someone who's compost mentos and able to tell you yeah and it's and it's all it's it's a big difference, really. Yeah. I mean, you you talk about this subject, you you think about people who are in pain and agony, and they just want to end it all. It's just relentless. They can't they yep. can't go on anymore. That feels like you know if you if there's no way that's ever going to be fixed, that is a bit like turning the ventilator off, isn't it? There's just it, no it way out of it. Simple it decision. It's when you've got these mental issues, and if we've got if we've got people who've you know it's 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 a it's a mind issue. 
yep. then doesn't that say an awful lot about the state of mental health uh, in the country, which we know is heavily underfunded, and this is just a, a repercussion and of that. And plays into what you were saying, Sam, about the tiredness, the feeling of, of you know, that is an element, perhaps, of mental illness in that, to some extent. And, and that's one of the issues, too. Uh, certainly in Belgium and Holland, they, they have to try first. And I don't know how easy it is to do this, but to, to work out, is this does this person have a bona fide mental health diagnosis, like depression or anxiety, or is it not even that? It's just that they've really finished. And they are trying to work out if there's a line they can draw that sort of compartmentalizes those things and, mm -hmm. and, and sort of separates them. And that's one of the reasons why they're coming up with the phenomenon of tiredness of life, because they're saying it's not a depression. It's not anxiety. It's nothing. It's nothing we know. It seems to be a sort of genuine finishing of life. Mm -hmm. they, they, they call it life, life lived or something. Life has been lived. Mm -hmm. It's finished. It's done. And, and that's they're arguing a different phenomenon that they encounter in some people. But in some people, it is actually just a depression in disguise or something else that, that they let, can let, diagnose let, and treat. They argue. Let, let's move into one another area, which is another ethical issue in this, which is, actually comes up a lot, because people, we may not want people legally to have the choice in this country to be able to do this at the moment. But people do. We know people go to Switzerland. It's it's almost a phrase yeah. now, or what they've done, they've gone to Switzerland. Mm. But they often need help from their relatives to do that, potentially. Yep. And there have been potential prosecutions of people who have gone and helped them with that. Now, yeah, yeah. if in that situation, and this is where people who, who, who are campaigning on euthanasia often say, it must surely be wrong to prosecute someone who has helped their relative or friend to end their life, which was their choice, and they have done nothing wrong by doing that. Yeah. How do you think that plays out? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I would agree with that completely. I, I think that it seems preposterous in the contemporary world to prosecute somebody for that. With something that most people probably would see as quite humane, I think, quite a humane act of kindness in many senses. Unless, just being devil's advocate, yeah. you know, you've got uh, your your partner is not in a fit mental state. You manage to convince them, you know, they, they yeah. you know, you want yeah. you want to get rid of them. You manage to convince them <laughs> yeah. that they should end your life, and you say, "I'm going to help you." And if you hadn't convinced them, they wouldn't have even been thinking about that. You yep. know, there's yep. that's the problem in all of this. There's two sides to every argument. How do there and, is. how do you enforce it? I know, you know, because one of them's murder, another one's sort of like a. But how do you a, a see killing. inside the mind of an individual? I suppose that's the fundamental problem in this. We can't put ourselves in the mind of someone to say, "Well, were you influenced and pushed into this, or was it your choice?" Mm. So it has to be again. It has to be a, a, a decision that's made by a number of people, doesn't it? Which which means for all of this, for every single case, there's a lot of work involved, mm. and there's a lot of mental health work there's a lot of you know practitioner work there's for each decision it's ex it, it's all sounds very expensive yeah whereas on the other side you know we had a just go back to boris johnson during covid mm. saying you know all these people who got covid that well they were going to die anyway you know when you've got that mm. sort of mentality from the top yep uh, the idea that here's something that could you know, could stop us. In, in, on the one side, we could save a lot of money because uh, because people will, you know, not be chewing up resources as much. On the other side, well, we can try and, you know, we can try and make life better for these people by allowing them to end life, but we can't do it cheaply. No. Nope. You know, which which way are the, the Boris Johnsons of this world going to go? Yeah, and you can certainly see the scales, can't you? Where we're putting different things on different sides of them. <laughs> they they mm. certainly teeter when you mm. start looking at it that way. Um, 
and as I said before, I don't think it would ever, it's always going to be an imperfect science, this, because you can't look into people's heads and you can't know everything you might want to know in relation to this. So it really, you do have to weigh up that there might be some mistakes made. Um, and that, there and might mistakes, be. there's no coming back from the mistakes. No, nope, there's the no coming back from them. There probably would be, right? There probably would be. Um, but the fact it's complicated doesn't mean we shouldn't do it. No. No, and I mean, on that on that basis, Sam, and as we sort of draw this to a conclusion, um, do you think the debate has changed? Because there's, there's a sense every so often, I mean, most recently perhaps, I think with Esther Ranson publish, uh, publicising mm. all this, a sense that there's another discussion going on and perhaps people you don't think necessarily actually advocate change. Do you, do you think the debate is moving in a different direction now? I think that it's interesting. Certain things, you do, we just keep coming back to them. You know, the, the debate keeps rearing its head and it's not going away, suggesting to me that there's there's something that we keep butting up against, um, or enough of us do, that this there is something that needs to be done about it. Whether it's changed, maybe in some, in some cases, uh, the sort of demographic of society is changing. So we might have more people who value certain things or, or, or don't value certain things as much in the sort of population that mean the bigger picture changes in the in the, in the eyes of everyone of people but i don't it's a good question i don't i don't know i can't give you a clear answer to that because I, I don't know it doesn't well, maybe we just have more older people around because people live longer perhaps that's yeah, why it's i mean before. that's true we we do have a burgeoning population of older people um which means that more and more people are going to face that's one of the reasons why we're revisiting the tiredness of life notion in, in that it could well grow that phenomenon and what we do about it is really really important so yeah i mean the population changes in that sense mm. um does that mean more and more people are going to hit this sort of road this sort of roadblock at some point yes probably i think it probably does unless we give them purpose unless I mean, we, yeah unless we find a way to structure society and life for people so that meaning in old age is retained and we're yeah. not doing a great job of that right now no yeah, well, it's been an interesting discussion. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're both looking quite grim here, I have to say. <laughs> we're, just, um, we're thinking, what do we do with the rest of our lives? More or less. <laughs> but, yeah, well, just, I mean, these people just need to get a podcast. That'll sort that's of, that's sort the of, way forward, but, obviously, but, but, the way. Yeah, I mean, it's, so it, but it, it, I mean, that is the, you know, that's the first step, isn't it? What can we do to make life more uh, old age, more more meaningful for, for people? Yeah. Yes. Those roadblocks that you talked about, though, I imagine one of them in the past might have been religion. I imagine that's sort of somewhat diminished now, that religious argument, which I came out with which just sounds crazy mm. doesn't it to most people there'll be yeah. some people saying thank god you raised that but for most people thank god in fact thank, yeah thank god uh, <laughs> but most people will be saying well lot of what a load of rubbish let's move on so yeah. i mean that yeah. that attitude has shifted i'm sure yeah the, the the amount of people i think that would hold that view maybe maybe smaller than it once was and less dominant maybe and a less powerful voice maybe mm. than it once was well, Sam, thank you very much uh, for walking us through the, the challenges. I'm not sure I'm any clearer in my mind about the Well, we're just showing how complicated it is. It is yeah, immensely we're just complicated. Yeah, it open, I think. Yeah. But yeah. I, it's good to talk about these things because, well... But it needs to happen. It does. Yeah. Okay. Sam, thanks for being with us. Thanks, no Sam. problem. Thank you very much. 
So, yes, uh, uh, well, I mean, it's left us all kind of thinking, hasn't it? <laughs> it has. Well, let's think about the other end of the age spectrum then. Yes. What about young people? Yes. Uh, and although we were talking about some, you know, there might it, be it some young people who want yeah. to end life as well, but, but generally... But they want to have a life. They want to have a life. The question is, can they afford it? You know, yes. they've got student loans now, they've got unaffordable houses, we've got this crumbling infrastructure that, yes. you know, we're, we're leaving them with saying, oh, you fix that up. And, uh, and also, you know, the, the range of things they are actually able to do is perhaps somewhat less. The yeah. security isn't there as it used yeah. to be. Jobs being replaced by artificial right. intelligence, supposedly. Have we sold our young Climate people's future change. down the river? Yeah, is what I'm saying. <laughs> There's a long, long list, isn't there? It is a long of list. All the things we're leaving, we, we, as we end our life, mm. we're just going, oh, by the way, you deal with all yes. of this. Good luck. Um, <laughs> yes, so, are, are, are we handing something rather unpleasant to the next generation? And it's partially social, it's partially economic. Mm. Like, do the numbers really stack up for anyone who's been born this century? How can they really afford to make a start in life yes. in the way that our generation or the generations before? Yes, um, the, plight, uh, the plight of the millennials. I remember my dad saying to me, he said, you know, your generation have got it much harder than my generation. Little did he realise the generations that followed, it got progressively harder worse as worse. well. Right. So, so can they have the same standard of living that we've enjoyed in their life? And it's not looking likely at the moment, is it? So we'll look at what the answer is to all of that we'll next delve week. delve into the problems of the next generation. That's coming here on The Y Curve next week. See you then. Thanks for listening. Bye. The Y Curve.